You tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, we'll hear from musician, rapper, poet, and playwright Dior Ashley Brown about how she's making out during this pandemic. But first, music venues have been some of the hardest-hit businesses in the area. In March, the pandemic forced clubs and concert halls to shut their doors indefinitely. They remain closed in D.C., still in Phase 2 of reopening. Meanwhile, in Virginia, Phase 3 means music venues can now operate with a number of limitations. In Maryland, it depends where you are. Montgomery County remains in Phase 2. As reopenings continue, some are left wondering what will live music look like in a post-COVID world? And will music fans ever be able to attend a show as they used to? Joining me now is Michaela Lefrac. She's WMU's arts and culture reporter, as well as the host of WMU's What's With Washington podcast. Michaela, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Kojo. Always happy to be here. Michaela, you've been covering this pandemic's effects on the local music scene. What has this meant for local music venues, and what does the landscape look like right now? Oh, man, Kojo, it has been so tough for local music venues. I really do feel for them. Um, Every day, venues across the country are closing down. Um, And here here in D.C. specifically, the problem is that gatherings of more than 50 people are still prohibited under phase two of reopening. So it really just doesn't make any financial sense for places like, say, the Anthem on the waterfront to open when, you know, they can only sell tickets to 50 people um, and they have a capacity of 6,000. So to staff a place like that, to make sure everybody is safe and socially distant, to pay the band, to pay insurance, it just, it doesn't add up. The money just isn't there. Um, So a lot of local venues have laid off their work They laid them off pretty immediately so they could start collecting unemployment. Um, And, you know, the thing that that gives me hope, though, is that so much organizing at the grassroots level is going on right now. Um, Right now, a lot of venues are part of a national push to get Congress to pass this Save Our Stages Act, which would provide grants for independent live music videos. And then there's also a lot of organizing on the local level, um, which has been really fascinating and heartening to watch. Joining us now is Dante Ferrando, the owner of the Black Cat, a live music venue in D.C. The Black Cat has been in business for nearly 30 years. Dante Ferrando, thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me. You closed your doors at the start of the pandemic. What have the past six months meant for the Black Cat? Um, We've been pretty empty. Uh, It's mostly meant me and my wife and partner Catherine hanging out by ourselves in a big empty building, uh, unfortunately. But you had shows scheduled through the spring, but you couldn't simply cancel them. Can you explain? Um, yeah, it's not the easiest thing to cancel a show because everything's contracted. And since this has been sort of a rolling situation where nobody knows how long it's going to go on, shows get postponed. We've now postponed some of these shows two or three times um, at this point. Everything's been pushed into next year, and we've ended up refunding everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to it's a hard enough situation as it is. But the but since we don't have a date where we know that it ends, it makes it even more complicated. Every single one of these shows is an independent contract, and we have to work with the booking agent on each show. So it gets very complicated with a full calendar. And the booking agent staff is also has been reduced during the pandemic, so that makes that a little more difficult too, doesn't it? 
Yeah, we, we had one of our larger booking agencies lay off a thousand people, and I honestly had no clue that anybody we worked with had that many employees. How have you been making ends meet over the past six months, and what has that meant for your staff? Um, well, for the business itself, it's just savings. Um, we have no income other than our web store for merchandise and upcoming uh, webcasts, which we're starting uh, um, with our anniversary on the uh, 18th. As far as the staff goes, we laid everybody off at the very beginning, um, so everybody's been on unemployment. We've got some people back on part-time working on these webcasts now using some of the uh, federal money, but um, it's not great. (laughs) It's it's definitely not a good situation, especially since that extra $600 a week on unemployment's dried up. Um, Michaela, are music venues receiving any kind of financial support from the government? Well, it really varies by state and county, as you could probably expect. So here in D.C., as you might know, D.C. got half as much uh, federal CARES Act funding as uh, as the states. So that's a huge hit to how much it can support small businesses. Um, and a lot of venues here didn't qualify for PPP loans because they're really only fully forgivable if the company keeps paying all their employees or rehires them within a certain amount of time of getting the loan. And, and that just didn't make sense for a lot of venues that you know are expecting to be closed for you know, what could be a year. Um, so, so local organizers here in D.C. are pushing the D.C. Council to sign this thing called the D.C. Music Venues Relief Act. And that would basically provide direct relief to live music venues and then also like small, small restaurants, bars that typically host live music. Um, and so venues could receive up to $15,000 per, per month if that goes through. Um, and then outside D.C., again, Things are, it's just different in Virginia and Maryland. For example, um, IMP, the the big venue company that owns a lot of venues in the area, um, they just got some assistance for Meriwether Post Pavilion from Howard County, and that's through through federal funding. So it really depends on where you are. Um, have music venues had to close permanently because of financial difficulties? Yes, and I, I kind of get nervous every day when I when I go online, worried that I'm going to see another place has closed down. Um, 18th Street Lounge is the really big one. Um, it closed in June after 25 years in Dupont Circle. Um, a lot of people are mourning Twins Jazz Club on U Street right now. It was a huge part of the city's jazz scene um, for 33 years, and and that one just closed. Um, Sato on 14th Street hosted live jazz and soul. It's shut down. Um, and then I also just heard that U Street Music Hall's owner said that if they don't get any more federal funding by October, they they might not make it too. And I think a lot of places, as as Dante can probably say, are are really feeling that that urgency and strain right now. Dante, how have you been making ends meet over the past six months, and what has this meant for your staff? Um, we've had no income at all, so it's it is it's really hard. Bills don't stop just because the doors closed. It's um, I mean, we estimated around twenty thousand dollars a month in expenses, even with our our doors closed up. So it's a pretty tough situation. I think um, I think everybody's kind of in the same boat at this point. We need assistance. Um, I know Neva did a survey of their members, ninety percent said they wouldn't be able to make it for more than six months without some kind of uh, assistance. So everybody's in pretty dire straits. I think everybody's burning through whatever savings they've got and trying to figure out ways to get little chunks of change in the door and, you know, make it last as long as they can. 
Here's Ian in Silver Spring, Maryland. Ian, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, people. Glad, glad to be here. Glad uh, you got this good panel here. Uh, I'm a musician, and, you know, fortunately, it's not messed things up for me too badly, uh, thankfully. But it's, again, it of course, it's slowed down our live music aspirations of course it has but of course there's plenty to do to you know plenty to work on but anyway that's not not supposed to be about me that uh, I'd be not afraid to go to a show we've been to a couple of small live music events I have trouble going to another one I I would not be afraid um, but uh, again, we understand, you know, that isn't everyone, and it's pretty understandable. This this all, I think, okay. got a lot worse than I would have thought, and okay. than that we'd all hoped. So, okay, okay. Uh, Ian, you seem to have been cautiously optimistic about going to shows and plan to continue to do so. Um, Michaela, you mentioned IMP, and there are other ways in which music venues are organizing in the hope of at least breaking even. Uh, joining us by phone is Audrey Fick Schaefer, director for IMP, which owns the 930 Club, Anthem, uh, Metro Merriweather Post Pavilion. And she is the National Communications Director at something called NIVA or NIVA. I'll have Audrey explain herself. Audrey, you're on the air. Can you please explain? Yes. The National Independent Venue Association did not exist before the pandemic. But very quickly, independent venues like the 930 Club and the Black Cat and New Street Music Hall and the others all across the country realized that there is no way we were going to survive this as as businesses, independent businesses, if we don't come together for the very first time and ask Congress for assistance because we were the first to close, we'll be the last to reopen if we're lucky enough to exist that long. We have zero revenue, enormous overhead, and no insight into when we can open up again. So that is a recipe for bankruptcy if we don't get this assistance. And um, as Michaela was talking about some of the other venues, the having a long history of being successful as an independent music venue does not protect you from the future like this. And uh, we, we think of it, I think of it as the, a case of like eminent domain when the government for the greater good decides the highway should go through your backyard so they take your property and pay you fair market value. Mm-hmm. We're in a situation where for the greater good, the government shut us down, effectively taking our business for health and safety reasons, which we totally understand. But we're being hung out to dry right now with no income. And there, no matter how clever or creative or determined a business person is, the, the numbers are what the numbers are. And you run out of savings. And there, we need Congress to get back and make a COVID bill overall and put the Save Our Stages Act in it. And I'm, I'm glad to say it's one, the Save Our Stages Act is one of those very rare moments in today's time where it is bipartisan, the support for it. We have more than 144 Congress people that say, yeah, 
This is important, not okay. just because somebody might like music, but because our businesses only got about twenty seconds left. Traffic to our communities. And I was just going to say, we are the economic triggers for our neighborhood. So we need to be able to open up again so the restaurants and bars and hotels and retail shops can open up again and be successful. Audrey Fix Schaefer, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be taking a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. I'm Kojo Nandi. Welcome back. We're talking about what the return of live and in-person music might look like in the DMV. And we just heard from Audrey Fix Schaefer, who was telling us, us about the National Independent Venue Association, or NEVA. Michaela Lefrac, are there any other ways music venues are organizing in the hopes of at least breaking even? Yeah, well, I, I've seen a lot of venues doing really creative things around live streaming. Um, for example, I just tuned into a concert last night from a venue in Nashville. Um, the artist and her band was performing to an empty room, and then these giant TV screens inside the room were showing videos to her of people who had tuned in, and we were watching from our couch. Um, and I know a lot of places in D.C. are gearing up to do more of that. Um, for example, Songbird uh, in Adams Morgan. They're going to be live streaming a bunch of concerts this weekend as part of the virtual Adams Morgan Day. Um, the Kennedy Center is preparing whenever DC enters phase three to, to start hosting concerts again. Um, and then, you know, of course, throughout this summer of protests, I've seen a ton of go-go bands performing from buses, um, from big buses with open, you know, tops going around the city, which is, I think, a really creative way of putting on a concert in a socially distant way. Well, Michaela, as of July 1st, Virginia entered its third and final phase of reopening, allowing music venues to operate at 50% capacity. Just last week, Maryland shifted to phase three of reopening and did the same except Montgomery County, which remains in phase two. What have you been hearing from music venue owners who have reopened? Um, well, you know, most venues that I are, are kind of on my radar still haven't reopened. Um, for example, the barns at Wolf Trap, they're not going to be hosting any concerts this fall. Jam and Java in Vienna is hosting concerts, but they're mostly outside in its parking lot, which is kind of in the strip mall area, but they've, they're, they're really making it work. Um, and, you know, there are places like, like classical movements, this classical music organization has an act, has access to this outdoor garden in Old Town Alexandria. So they're hosting concerts. Um, outside with these strict social distancing guidelines. Um, but of course, that only works uh, during the good weather. But then, of course, there are venues like like the Birchmere, a legendary organization that's that has started reopening and, and hosting indoor concerts. Well, glad you mentioned the Birchmere because we have the owner of the Birchmere with us. Gary Olsey is the owner of the Birchmere. It's been in business since 1966, and Gary has been running it since 1966. We've seen the likes of Mary Chapin Carpenter, Lyle Lovett, Dave Matthews, Amy Lou Harris, Katie Lang, many others at the Birchmere. So it's really a pleasure, Gary Olsey, to have you join us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for asking. Um, you were one of the first local venues to reopen for in-person shows in early July when Virginia entered Phase 3. How did reopening go and what precautions are you taking? Well, we first follow, you know, all the, the CDC and the Commonwealth of Virginia and, and, and the Alexandria Health Department, anything they need uh, and want. And um, we, uh, for, we're, the Birchmere is a sit-down music venue, so we are kind of, we fall under a restaurant. 
and uh, so they're using that that uh, kind of guideline. We um, we they cut the capacity to fifty uh, percent, which uh, and the distancing and then all of that. We uh, follow every safety thing they suggest, and we even go a, a, a step further, and we have a company that comes in with a thing called an um, atomizer and fogs a place uh, once a month that supposedly, you know, uh, keeps it safe. We've uh, been open two months now, just weekends. Uh, just like everybody else, um, all the acts had moved into the first of the year, all your major acts, and uh, it, I had to lay off all my part-time people. I kept my management and uh, staff crew on uh, and uh, still have them on. They're, of course, they're not working at full pay, and they've all been with me for 30 years. So they, they, uh, I'm not going to let them lose, leave me. They're more, very important to us. So, um, we, yeah, we opened with the same idea. Let's just try to break even till this thing's over. And it's been rough. It's really been rough. And uh, we're not breaking even, but but we're prepared. To, after 54 years, I'm not going to give up on it, let this thing run me out of town, you know. Well, you have many shows lined up for next month. What can attendees expect at your shows, given current limitations? Uh, well, we've been doing just weekends, and uh, we've been working on the uh, overtime on uh, October. We have something like 25 shows, and uh, we've uh, we've not had one complaint. Uh, everybody, we get emails that are all just great. I'm glad I can go out and hear live music. I think my biggest handicap is the fact that Nobody else is open, and people don't realize the Birchmere is open. And uh, so I'm going to go uh, on an extensive ad campaign st uh, starting next week and, and uh, gamble some more money. How are the fans reacting? Are you filling the Birchmere to its allowed 50% for concerts? Oh, no, no. I mean, we're only averaging probably 70 people. Twice we went over 100. We had a we did have 170 or 80 in there uh, a week ago, and uh, it was very comfortable. Nobody crowded, and all the, uh, you know, it's just people's uh, fear. You know, some people are afraid to go out, some are not, and and uh, it's quite safe and quite clean, and and uh, everybody's happy. They want to hear some live music. I, you know, I'm I'm in sympathy with all all the other clubs. Good. They're not competition. We're all in the same business. We need people buying tickets and seeing Here. live music. Here is Sean in Washington, D.C. Sean, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Kojo. Um, I'll, be, I'll be fast. I'll talk fast. and I'll be as brief as I possibly can. Um, these venues, a lot of the venues are making a lot of money off of alcohol up until March, April. A lot of the venues are not opening because they're not going to get any money from alcohol. I think the venues have a responsibility to the musicians in the area, in the D.C. area, to organize some kind of showcasing of local talent every night, live streaming, live streaming. get creative, show people what incredible talent we've got in the city. Yes, you're not going to make a lot of money off of it, but you'll make a reputation. You'll have the videos online. People will know you're doing something. The responsibility of the venue 
is to show the public the talented people we have here or the talented people who are touring, not just to make money selling beer and, and shots of vodka. So I'm wondering why there isn't some sort of, we're in October, this thing's been going on for seven months, people are okay. crawling all over the internet, there's nothing to see. Well, Dante Ferrando, Black Cat's 27th anniversary is coming up. Maybe you might be able to tell Sean what's the plan for that, and he might want to join you. But go ahead, please, Dante. We have our 27th anniversary coming up on uh, September 18th. We're doing a live stream. It starts at 9 p.m. Check out blackheaddc.com for info. Um, we have a bunch of local bands. It, it took us a while to get off the ground. I see what the caller is saying. It, it has been incredibly difficult to make it through the first couple months of this thing. Um, I think we finally got our, our pace a little bit, and we are working on live stream stuff. I think a lot of the other venues are probably in the same boat. The first couple of months of this was really hard, but I think you will see a lot of people do stuff like what we're trying to do over the next couple of months. We're going to bring some bands in, record in an empty room, and live stream them. It worked really great for the anniversary so far. We've got some more stuff to do. We've got some submissions from acts from out of town, like uh, like Ted Leo and uh, Mike Watt. We've got a bunch of locals on the bill, which is Ilsa, Technophobia, Team Cobra. So we've we've started putting together a show, but it is a lot of work. And you got to remember, with no money coming in, we can't kick out a lot of money. So we can do it, but it's tough and it's costing us a lot. So um, if you are going to watch some of these live streams that we're doing or anybody else is doing, donate some money because the club can't do this without <laughs> without spending some money to do it. Buy some merch from the clubs. Um, any kind of financial assistance would be really helpful because. It's not free to, to get a whole bunch of people in there and try to do a live stream difficult, especially because it's not what we do normally. <laughs> Gary Olsen, we only have about 30 seconds, but what's the next concert scheduled at the Birch Mayor? Well, uh, we, the, uh, the next concert is uh, uh, Friday night, uh, Eric Scott Band with a CD release show. And Saturday night, we have the 33 and the 3rd Live Killers Queen experience. We're doing a lot of covers and locals and but now the a few of the uh, uh national acts are starting to figure out they're not okay. making any money sitting at home so G everybody come out and see us and uh help us and uh, we're all in trouble gary Olsey, dante ferrando michaela lefrac thank you all for joining us we're going to take a short break when we come back we'll be hearing from musician rapper poet and playwright dior ashley brown about how she's been making out and what she's been doing during the pandemic I'm Kojo Nandi. Hey, Michaela LaFrac here. You're invited to What's With Washington's next virtual trivia event on October 1st. We've got all new questions to test your knowledge of the D.C. region. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend an hour nerding out over local trivia? Plus, it's free. Head to wamu.org events to register, and I'll see you on October 1st.